Well, well done, families. Um, I know that for many of you, public speaking is probably one of your top fears. Um, uh, in fact, I read at some point, I don't know if I buy this, but that the fear of public speaking is greater in America, is higher ranking than the fear of death, um, which seems strange to me that, it, that the funeral people would rather be the guest of honor than to be the one delivering the eulogy. That seems weird to me, but okay. Um, and, uh, and also, it's a reminder to me, speaking, speaking of uh, public speaking, um, that uh, I use these devoted Sundays uh, for a few things. One, they come up as a rotation, so there's a little bit of an auto, uh, auto factor that goes into this, that there's certain things that we remind ourselves of. One of them is, um, we are really blessed to have lots of little kids in our church, and that's a huge blessing. And therefore, I always take a moment on these devoted Sundays to remind us that that means we're going to have children noises and children movements and children actions all through services and stuff like that. And if, if you were raised in a world where you find yourself tempted to cut your eyes over at some mom whose kid is making uh, noise during the service or acting like a kid during the service, then I would submit that the problem is with how we were raised and our own mindset, not with the mom or the child. We would never want any mom, child, or father, or whatever to feel even a moment of panic or embarrassment that their child acts like a child sometimes. And so um, we're good with that, and we celebrate that. There are many churches in America that would give anything um, to have children noises again in their church. And so we recognize this is a huge blessing from God, and we're so grateful um, that we get to be a part of this. Um, another part of that auto-rotation, um, actually today, is in um, regards to the finances, is um, we do have, uh, people have been asking about the capital campaign we're doing. We've kind of put it on pause talking about it um, for a few weeks because we've not had anything new to share. Um, we have a team of people who have been working to develop a site plan then that's got to now go through the proper channels, and then we'll have a group of people who are now going to look at the site plan and begin to develop buildings. That will be another process, but hopefully we'll have a little bit of information for you coming up before too long. Um, it is stunning that this church is so generous, and God through you guys, that, that, that it's like um, we've already seen over $5 million pledged, even though you guys haven't really seen drawings, um, which is amazing. Um, and so some people, I'm sure, will say, hey, now that I see the drawings, I get excited. I want to be a part of that. Or maybe you've joined the church since we started that process, and you're like, I'd like to hear more. Feel free to reach out. Um, but more importantly, today, what struck me as, as uh, humorous, something that happened not that long ago... Um, is uh, Paul came to me, our executive pastor who was just up here, came to me and said, hey, hey boss, what do you want to do when, when people's auto-draft like runs out, when it times out? So they're, they're auto-drafting a gift and, and it goes, comes out every month or whatever, and, then it, and, and they just randomly picked a date and it's now run out. Like, how do we let them know? And I was like, I don't know. I guess you just say, hey, your auto-draft ran out. Would you like to keep doing that or what, what would you? And he was like, all right, good. Hey, boss, your auto draft just ran out. Would, um, would you like to re-up that? And like, so that was me. So I know it can happen. And I was like, yeah, that felt about right. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's just. And so now, however, he can't reach out to everybody and do that. Periodically check, make sure if you want to be giving in that way to the church and be worshiping that way, we'd love to partner with you in that. Please let us know if we can help. But um, that is something that it does happen. And uh, you set a date that you're like, surely the world will end before this date. There's no way we're still going to be around for this. And then here we are. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So um, anyway, wouldn't want you to miss out on that. Um, finally, this week I had someone use a phrase to me that I thought, surely this is worth mentioning. Um, someone during this week was referencing listening to our podcasts. We have uh, at least two that we run through the church, the in-between and then um, the reconstructed faith. 
And, uh, and someone said they'd been listening to them, and they said that it, quote, humanized me uh, to listen to the podcast. I didn't, I didn't know that was much of an issue. I don't, like, to me, I'm just me. But to you, maybe like, again, I, I don't ever think of me the way I thought of my 50-year-old pastor when I was in a church. Surely that's not how you think of me. Okay, probably is. And, and I've probably made mistakes and frustrated you and hurt your feelings or whatever. And so you, one, you may need to confront me. But if you just need to be humanizing, uh, apparently the podcast accomplished that. So no extra charge for that. That's a, that's a nice thing. Um, and I would encourage you, those of you who are here today, um, for whatever, uh, whatever brought you here, to consider, as we've gone through so far, even just the testimonies of baptism, of communion, of family dedications, which is what we'll be focusing on today, um, I would challenge you, if you look around and you realize you want more than this world has to offer um, in your life, if you experience that, let that be evidence that you were created for more than merely this world. Um, as we unpack the conversation today about who God is and what that means about our families, um, I'd love to really encourage you to be considering, is there something more um, that life has for you um, than merely this world? I'm going to unpack this idea of forever families. Um, each time we do uh, uh, the, the devoted Sundays, we're focusing in attention on either like um, uh, on family dedications or communion or baptism, these three kind of consecrated events that we focus on here. Um, and so we, would, we want to encourage you with those. I, I grew up in church doing these types of things and not understanding why we did them or what they were for. Hold off on those for a second. Um, on, what those were, on what they were for. And, and so I was just experiencing like, okay, now we do this weird Christian-y thing, I guess, where we drink a tiny bit of grape juice and eat, uh, you know, a, a, I don't know what we call those little wafers, the um, uh, plastic, anyway, whatever we call and the But the, um, and so we, that like, why, okay, we just dunked somebody in water and we all applauded. What, what, I mean, that doesn't usually happen at the pool when I dunk somebody in the water. So what's the story here? So, so we want to take time and communicate and explain those so that we know why we do those things. Um, this idea of forever families, you've seen a couple of banners. When I type that in, Growing, having been in the adoption and foster world quite a bit myself, um, and seeing this, this, you know, the fostering process and then becomes forever families is often the language that's used. And you look up, you see these logos. Um, the last one here, uh, do, do the, the, this one troubled me. I don't, I don't know what that is. Somebody was trying too hard. That's just a little weird. Um, and I wanted to share it with you. But this, this idea of forever families, I want to unpack that today as we talk about this idea of dedicating families. Why do we do that at South Spring? Why do we dedicate families? And you've heard some of it already, but I'm going to unpack it more in detail. I want to jump to where we have been in 1 Samuel chapter 20, real quickly, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Um, the verses will be on the screen. There's also, if you have a Bible, you can look it up. If, if there's, a, there's Bibles actually in the pews, if you don't have a Bible, take one of those uh, home with you. Or if you want an even better one, let us know and we'll find you a, a really good one. Um, but this phrase, 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42, then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And I, I think here Jonathan and David are creating a forever family. They are saying, we are covenanting before God that you will take care of my children, and I will take care of your children, and, and we will work together in this world. Now, they don't get to do it very long, as, we'll, as we unpack the rest of 1 Samuel, we'll see, which is sad. But 
But the fact that were their offspring, I mean, down the road, as I'm going to mention in a second, down the road, Jonathan's children are going to be eating at David's table for, for years to come, maybe decades. And so this, this picture of this family that they're creating right here, this, you and I will be in this covenant relationship and our family will be forever. If there are descendants of David and descendants of Jonathan alive today, I hope they're friends. And I hope they eat together and that they've grown up together. They create this forever family, a covenant family created by a mutual devotion to God and to one another. Their purposes and fates are intertwined. Um, what Kevin, who preached last week um, through this passage, called chosen families. Uh, what we often in the church call the family of God. Now, those of you who know me well know that I get really quickly irritated when, you, when people, especially in the Christian world, um, grab hold of one concept and another concept and put them in competition with each other. Well, which is more important, the nuclear family or the family of God, the church family? And I would say that is not a question that anyone ever needs to ask. Those are not contradictory. They are not in competition with one another. They are complementary. They feed one another. They speak to one another. That's what they're all about. The nuclear family speaks about the church family and vice versa. Um, and one teaches us about the other one. They both, uh, both concepts express God's early teaching. One of his first proclamations, it is not good for man to be alone. That his intention was for us to live in a family community, a community that is powerful under him. Every Sunday that we do a devoted Sunday, you, some of you may have picked up on this, we sing the hymn, How Firm a Foundation. These are the foundation, each of them, this foundation of God creating the family, this family, this, this nuclear family first, and using that as imagery for creating his relationship with us. And we sing it every time. The devoted Sunday concept that we talked about, this, this idea that we're going to learn about these and look into this and, and dive into this, and this is the one we're doing today, is this word, dedication. So let's break down the word. It's a Latin root word, dedication, um, de, what de, de, um, down to the bottom is the Latin root for this. It means down to the bottom. In other words, it's a picture of all of it. So you, when you descend, you're moving down to the bottom. That's, that's the idea, Okay. And so, in other words, it's a euphemism for all, for everything. Dicare, or is where we get the word like diction or dictionary, means to proclaim. So to dedicate something is to proclaim all of it. It's to proclaim it from top to bottom. We are, we are making this what it is, beginning to end, all of it. This is the way this works. In other words, what Jonathan said to David, this is the, this is the way it is forever, from now on. Our story, the biblical story, the story of God working in this world begins with God and incredibly quickly moves to the family. You ever notice that? <clears throat> it, within, a, within a chapter, we are now lo looking at what is the family? What is God's family? What is what he calls the family? Adam and Eve starting. Notice that this concept of the nuclear family predates the church it predates the priesthood, it predates any nation, it predates any government, it predates essentially everything else but God's relationship to his creation. There's a sense in which Adam and Eve, the first beings to commune with God, to worship God in community, in one sense that kind of makes them the first church, the first worshipers together in community. 
I don't want to go too far with that because you can make a mistake real fast. I don't know all of their details. But in the sense that they worshiped God in community, that makes them like kind of like a church. They are the family of God. So we naturally should ask the question then, in a church setting, in the family setting, what does it take to raise a child? What does it take to make a family? Um, uh, It's funny, years ago I remember hearing the phrase um, that it takes a village to raise a child. And I I typically agree with that. I don't agree that it takes a central government to raise a child. I'm not as big a fan of that. But, But it is a, does it take a village to raise a child or a church to raise a child or a family to raise a child? And what I realized was even the way we ask that question comes from a poverty mindset. As if we're trying to figure out what's the very, very least that a child could live with and still be okay. And I don't see any value in even asking that, to be perfectly honest, especially not in the church setting. Do they need a mom? Do they need a dad? Do they need someone taking on these roles in their lives? Well, I guess it depends on how much you want them to thrive. And if we're going to be talking about thriving, now we're talking about opulence, not poverty. Then we start asking the question, what could we give a child to lift them up, to raise them up? That's a totally different question. It's wild to consider that God is going to dictate, at some point, He's eventually going to give the design for a giant temple, a world wonder. He's also going to create the the guidelines for a very sophisticated priestly class, an incredibly complicated legal system for His people to live out. These are all, and until there's a temple, there's this roving tent called the tabernacle. And in the midst of creating all these things, he then is going to give the instructions. He wants these things, these rules, the truth of who he is, he wants them passed down from generation to generation to generation. And as important as these are, they are not God's primary tool for passing along from generation to generation. Deuteronomy 6, which we read some of this morning. Let me go back a little bit, then we'll start in verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. But here's the deal. Apparently, God's not going to show up on the top of a mountain every 20 to 40 years, set the top of the mountain on fire, and have some representative of the rest of us go up and receive these laws again, right? I saw a meme this week that indicated that Moses was the first person to download something onto his tablet from the cloud, right? That was the... That was, that's pretty good, isn't it? And so this is a, this is, this, God's not going to do this every generation. He's not going to re-deliver the law or whatever changes to the law. He's not going to do that again and again and again. So what is his plan for getting this truth transitioned, transmitted from one generation to the next since he's not coming back every 20 years to do it? Yes, the priesthood. Yes, the law. Yes, the tabernacle and the temple. Yes, those are all part of that. But what's wild is how many even those are created to create a conversation not between a child and a priest, but between a child and their parent. Listen to how this fulfilled. Verse 6, And these words I command, that's instruction, 
You today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, this conversation should saturate every part of your interaction. This is just normal conversation around the dinner table, while you're walking, while you're playing, while you're doing whatever. And listen, I'll acknowledge to you, this is hard. This is hard to do because so much parenting involves correction and teaching and instruction about just everyday normal life things, and, but finding ways to, to integrate these conversations into everyday things. I, I'm literally a professional therapist and communicator, and I get in the, gar- the truck with my kids, and my mind just goes blank. I don't know about the rest of you. I'm like, I have nothing to talk about. Nothing. Like here, I have this child now trapped in the car with me for 15 minutes, and I can't think of a single thing. So I ask like, hey, what do you want to talk about? And they're like, nothing. Like, shoot, one of us has got to grow a brain. Like, so I, I actually literally, uh, uh, Emma and I on Sunday mornings, we literally have, we've gone through now several boxes of questions that we just buy, buy boxes of questions and stick them in the car. She pulls a bunch out and she'll ask questions. Like, oh yeah, that's a great thing to discuss. What a great idea. We'll talk about that. I don't care what it takes. We got to figure out how to saturate it. It's got to be on our hands. It's got to be hanging between our eyes so that we literally can't miss it on the gatepost, on the doorpost, and little boxes of questions that we have with our kids when we're riding in the vehicles. I don't care what it takes. This is what we're called to do. But notice that. Is it the main job of parents? Is the biblical job of parents the main job? To give our kids lots of opportunities, to give them an excellent education, to raise athletes, scholars, artists, millionaires, presidents, pastors. No, that is not our main job. Our main job is to make sure that the truth of who God is gets transmitted to the next generation, to our kids. You would think so the way so often in the church we seek to out-busy, out-perform, out-educate, and out-politic the world, as if that was somehow going to bring salvation for our children, or purpose, or meaning. Is it doing it for us? It is not. Is it doing it for the world? It is not. So let's not continue to pass along these empty ways of life handed down to us by our forefathers. They are not, that's why we sing the song, those are not good foundations. Some of them are great things sometimes to build on a good foundation. It's not that they're evil. It's just that they deserve their place as not the foundation of a family's existence. They have some other role. So what if we take this opulence mindset? What does it take to raise a child? How many people to play the roles that we need in our children's life, that we want in our children's life? How many would it take? Well, it's a good question. Um, I'm going to read, I'm going to reference this, come back to this, but I'm going to reference Mark chapter 10 here, this passage about the household of God. Jesus said, so Peter has just, and I can imagine most of Peter's life after, uh, after Jesus was um, killed and resurrected and ascended into heaven, a lot of Peter's life involved him sitting around remembering stupid things that he had said and being like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I said that. This would be a great example. At this, during this passage, Peter, Jesus has referenced sacrifice, and Peter says, oh, wow, we've given up everything. I mean everything. And you can imagine later those words haunting him after he realizes, I mean, except for, of course, that time I denied you. Um, but that was a, this is so, and then Jesus, here's Jesus' response. 
Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Here's what I believe about this. I believe the job of a dad is to exemplify the paternal traits of Almighty God. I think the job of a mom is to exemplify the maternal traits of Almighty God. I think that's if you're a good parent, if you're a good parent, you are exemplifying those traits of God's. And it gives your children a direction to look. My goal, my goal, my grade, I assume, as a parent, when I get to judgment someday, and I want to be a world-class dad, just like I want to be a world-class husband, and I want to get there someday, and here's how I think God's going to measure it. See, most of us as children, when we're little kids, our intuition for God is dad. Dad's a great stand-in because there's a sense in which dad's not always present. You don't even know who he is exactly in the family when you're a kid. All of my kids have thought I was just another one of the kids um, at another one time in the family. Is the big kid coming with us on this trip? I'm not kidding. That's an actual conversation Ginger had. I think it was with Holland. Is the big kid coming with us? And she's like, well, I'm, well, I'm sorry. What kid are you talking about? She's like, he's like the other kid, the one who always goes with us everywhere. Like, you mean dad? Yeah, that one. That one. That's a, why, how, why would he know different, right? Anyway, so, so anyway, there's this sense in which you go, you go, okay, so this intuition that most people have, our first intuition as a child when we hear about God is we kind of picture a dad-like character. So here's the job. Someday they're going to wake up, sometimes earlier than not, to the fact that you're not God. And your job is measured in that moment by how much pivot they have to make in order to find God. So if they're looking here and they go like, oh, there's dad. Oh, it turns out dad's not God. God's different. How much, how much turning do they have to do? How much adjusting do they have to do in order to find God? Oh, that's God, not dad, God. That'd be awesome if it's a short turn. I know for some of you, that's intu that intuition is just not there because you were given an image of God that's this direction, and you're like, wow, this is, this is what God must be like. There's nothing to follow there. And at some point in your life, you learn, no, no, God's way around here at 180 degrees, and that makes life tougher. It's, it's harder to, to do that intuition. It's really tough. This is why this picture, we, I can't exemplify, even if I do a great job, I can't exemplify all the traits of God well. No human could, could even come close. I, I, I used the imagery of a, of a paint-by-numbers um, a few weeks ago in a talk, and like half the crowd had no idea what that was. Do y'all know what a paint-by-numbers is? This, is this something, a, a reference? You're, okay, if you, didn't, if you don't know, ask someone who just raised their hand. They can explain it to you later. But this idea of God's, of course, character having limitless millions of colors in his identity, of course I can't, even if I'm a great dad, I can't color in all those colors. I need other dads. In fact... I need a hundredfold mothers and brothers and sisters and fathers and homes and persecutions and eternal life to be given to my children in addition to me, in addition to Ginger. As excellent example as she is of the maternal traits of Almighty God to our kids, they're going to need more. That's part of why we serve in our children's ministry. It's because I want you people investing in my children. I want them to see the paternal and maternal traits of God in you in that place. And in fact, this service is going to have to step up. The second service, we need almost 70 people to be working in children's ministry. And so some of you are just literally going to have to start getting up earlier, coming to the first service, 
and in working in the second service. We, we, we're going to have to have that happen. And so if, if you are not already invested and involved and engaged, we need a bunch more people because our, student ministry, our children's ministry is growing again. And uh, after COVID, it's just now hitting these, some of the marks we used to hit, the same rates. Um, and as you saw, we had like, I don't know, 7 million people being dedic children dedicated this morning. And so you can see there's lots of babies running around here, and we're going to need that. So if you aren't invested or engaged or involved, that I would love to challenge you. Start that process. Because it actually takes a little while to get through it. We have a lot of security in place for that. But please do that. We need more. And I need you investing in my children. I love it. I love having over the years seen my children respond like when they would come and tell me some amazing thing Paul taught them in student ministry or John taught them in student ministry this last time at camp, uh, Michael getting to go as well and seeing Michael down there in the front worshiping right alongside other, other adult young men and, and looking to them. Do, do guys raise their hand during worship or not? Okay, he did, so it must be okay, right? And so we, need, we all need this, and to see this stuff lived out in our lives is vital. Psalm 71, the psalmist, you can hear the, 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 the urgency in the psalmist's voice um, in Psalm 71, 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Don't let me die until I have proclaimed who you are to another generation. Your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O oh God, reaches to the high heavens. You have done great things. O oh God, who is like you? That last phrase, who is like you, is the word Michael in the, in the Hebrew. Early on, God wanted the, the priesthood to recognize the role of the family in God's people. This idea of consecrated, I'm going to skip that Leviticus passage, but this idea of consecrated, blessed, dedicated, devoted to make something sacred, con meaning with, um, uh, and then secrete to declare sacred to make uh, to make sacred, so that we would say we consecrate. We are consecrating ourselves to live a life. We are dedicating ourselves to live a consecrated life. We dedicate to living a consecrated life in our families to consecrate every child, every family as part of the church. God has declared this sacred with Him. We're just confessing it. We're just agreeing with Him with it. This is what makes it sacred, exactly what I was just talking about, that we are exemplifying his maternal and paternal traits to the next generation. Paul encouraged Timothy to treat older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. All of us need that. This is the forever family that is called the church, the invisible church. The early church fathers talked about the visible church are all the people who show up. The invisible church are all those who have truly been adopted by the work of Almighty God. They've answered to the calling of His adoption. We are blurring the lines of family and friends intentionally. Amen? That is the purpose. We want those lines blurred. What exactly is family within the family of God? I want those lines blurred. I want my kids to have lots of moms and dads and brothers and sisters. I, I want that to be those lines to be blurred. We see that um, in baptism. Baptism is such a fun example of that. Today, we heard people say things like, um, I baptize you, my daughter and my sister. I baptize you, my husband and my brother. I baptize you, my mother and my sister. Like, that's, that's intentional. Yes, there is one sense in which you are my mother. And now in the kingdom, there's another sense in which you are my sister. 
Both are true. Those are not contradictory. They are building on each other. That's the very picture that God has for us. Um, This faith creates a new family system. I want to read down from Matthew chapter 12, um, uh, starting in verse 46. I'm skipping a little bit ahead, guys. While he was still speaking to the people, so this is Jesus' teaching, right? His mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who asked him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Look at the detail Matthew gives here. This is really beautiful. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples. Isn't this beautiful? The, the, language, the fact that Matthew tells us what movement Jesus makes here. That Jesus points his hand over to his disciples and says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Now, does that mean his mother and his brothers aren't his family? Of course not. Of course they are. In fact, many of his brothers become his key disciples, the next generation. His mother travels with them. You know that if you've seen The Chosen, right? So this is the household of faith. This is who this is, the children of God. It's not that they're contradictory. It's that they all wrap in together in eternity. The family system becomes a double priority with the family of God and the nuclear family. Friends are just family you aren't related to. In the kingdom, we see this with David and Jonathan, the lines of family and friendship blurred intentionally. Jonathan's children will sit at David's table. The future heirs to the throne will sit with the current king who isn't their father. That's that's a beautiful picture of what family really is meant to be and how it trumps anything else the world would throw at us. Their multiplied importance. Jim Dennison um, referenced a story and referred to it as every Christian's dream come true when uh, a Muslim came up to someone who had been given a dream and walked up to them and said, Jesus told me in a dream that you have a message for me. That that would like be every Christian's dream come true would be to have a, a lost person just walk up to you and go, hey, Jesus told me I needed to talk to you. What would you like to share with me, right? Now, some of us are so badly prepared for that moment that you would panic, in which case you need to get trained to how to handle that moment in case it ever happens. But here's what struck me. Our children are doing this every day. Our grandkids are doing that every day. What message do you have for me? What is the lesson you have for me? In fact, in the family and the family of God, our wives are asking that every day. What is your message to me? Husbands are asking it every day. What do you have for me? Jesus sent me to you to ask for your input. Jesus sent me to you to to live out in intimacy with you. See, church and family are a place to live out the gospel to practice discipleship and discipline and authority and sacrifice and service. That's, that describes the church and the family. The church and the family, a place to be refreshed and encouraged and empowered. The church and the family, a place to invest in eternity, since people are eternal. We emphasize the family as an integrated power within this church. We see those two things as overlapping, integrating, expanding, uh, multiplying one another, not, not dividing. The church is the eternal family. One of the great pictures in the Bible of what salvation is, is a picture of a father who has already paid the adoption price and is just waiting for you to come join the family. Essentially like shouting to the orphanage, into the orphanage, I've purchased all of you. Come out of the orphanage and join me. And those of us who do that, that world, who live in that world, as many do in this foster and adoption world, we know, like we would go like, wow, that's, that's signing on for a lot. A whole orphanage full, a whole world full of orphans, you're signing on for a lot. Yes, it is, and he knows that. And he chooses you anyway. 
That he says, I know what you're dealing with. I know how jacked up you are. I know how many mistakes you make. I know what a horrible person you can be. And I choose you. He's signing on for something. He knows exactly. He has counted the cost and he has paid the price. And he says, I want you to come. So if you don't know that father, if you're still stuck on whatever imagery of father you've got, I, I encourage you, repent of the image of father. If he's a great father, you're still going to have to repent, though not as far. But you're still going to have to look to God as father instead of him. That's why Jesus said, you should, you might be, maybe you shouldn't even call anyone father on earth because you have a father and he's in heaven. He's the ultimate. He's the extreme example. Now, like a good family, we just took a meal together. We just discussed finances together. We just, we just looked at what we're doing and why we're doing it like a good family does. And so like a good family, we want to celebrate the time we've had together before we say goodbye. The church is the eternal family, and we embrace it and we celebrate it forever. So if you will, stand with me and help us to celebrate. Um, I, I, the, I pray the Spirit is speaking to you. Um, we had a young man come up after the first service and say, with his dad, and say, hey, during the communion time, um, I asked Jesus to save me. And so we're going to get some, he's going to get some time talking to some people and friends. Um, I would encourage you to have the same mindset. You may be going like, I've never, I don't understand this. I don't get this, or I would love to talk more about it. If you know someone who's sitting near you, who you know they know Jesus, <clears throat> and they love Jesus, talk to them. You know them, they know you. If you don't have someone like that, or even if you do and you want to talk to us too, we'd be super honored. You can come up here or head over into the corner at the prayer corner. We would love to talk and pray with you about that. Um, during this time of invitation, our hope is that the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, is challenging and, and correcting um, as he does, um, uplifting and encouraging and comforting as he does. And so if, it, if that's a weird language, you go, that's kind of Jesus-y language. You may not know the Spirit, and we may need to talk about that. So what, whatever the Spirit is leading. Also, if you've been through our welcome home process and you're ready to join our dysfunctional family, um, here all of us who have been called out of the orphanage, um, we would love for you to do that, and we'd love to have that conversation with you as well. Um, so let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful for this morning, and I'm so grateful for your message of family, that you take these simple worldly things and you use them to help us understand the real thing. You take just merely us poor examples of dad. And you, we just do the example and you point us to the real thing. You, the father. We have these moms who, who do a great job and who work really hard. But then to point to you and go, no, no. You are truly the one who exemplifies those maternal traits in truth and in power. Father, the same thing with family, that you teach us about family with your church and vice versa. We are your people. Help us to learn to live that out. And I, Lord, I pray that anyone who's here today and does not know you has not accepted the free gift of your adoption, that they would come running out of the orphanage and down here to the front to pray. We thank you for these things in your son's name. Amen.